Would you pray with me? Or oh, our Heavenly Father, would you give us eyes to hear and ears to, or eyes to see and ears to hear, and to receive all that you have to say to us as your church, those who have been grafted in through the mighty work of Jesus. Would you come now and speak to us? Come and thy people bless. Let thy word have success. Establish thy righteousness, spirit of power. Lord, um, help us to this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. As I was thinking about an, an opening introduction for this message, I thought of that generational, uh, culture-shifting movie, Ratatouille. Uh, Ratatouille is about Linguini, who is the illegitimate son of a famous chef, and through uh, a random set of circumstances, comes across Remy, who is a, a rat, who is also an amazing chef. Linguini has no culinary skills. Remy is an amazing chef, and they form a partnership where Remy, under Linguini's hat, is able to control Linguini, and Linguini becomes this famous chef because of what Remy has been doing sort of behind the scenes, so to speak. But what's interesting is, even though Linguini knows that, that he owes everything to Remy, that, that this isn't his talent that's coming out, this is a gift he's been given, a random happenstance that has like, changed his life for the better, even though he knows that's the case, he begins to become uh, proud and arrogant. He begins to believe the press about him, about how great he is. He, uh, he forgets Remy altogether at one point and says, you know, his lo the love interest, the, the female sous chef that's in the, in the movie, you know, she's his muse. She inspires all of his cooking and all of his recipes and that sort of thing. He completely forgets that actually he is totally dependent on Remy. I think there's something like that for us as we look at Romans chapter 11. Paul is writing to these Christians in Rome and he's, he's at length defended the doctrine of justification by faith and he has shown that the, the law has been set aside because it's been fulfilled in Christ and circumcision is no longer necessary but we are justified by grace through faith. But he is worried that, that having established that and the reality that many of the Jewish people have not received Jesus as the Messiah, and so many Gentiles have, that pride and arrogance would begin to creep in among the Gentile-dominant church. And he wants to write and warn against that, uh, to set some things straight, and to warn against that. And, and here's kind of the big idea, I think, this morning for us. We should be humble because we had no claim to the grace that we've been given. We should be humble because we, have no, we had no claim to the grace that we've been given. Now, it might be useful just to systematically talk about this tree metaphor. Uh, it's because it's so interwoven into this paragraph, it can be hard to, to parse out what he means by these different components of the tree. So imagine an olive tree, okay? Root, trunk, and branches. That's the three components. The root, he doesn't explicitly name the root, but it seems pretty clear from the passage and from this larger section of Romans, by the root he means Abraham and the promises to Abraham. 
the uh, Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 17. I will make your name great. I will give you this land. I will bless all the nations through you. All of those big promises that God made to Abraham that kicks off the story of redemption, right? That is the root of it all. Then you have the olive tree, the trunk, which is the people of God. Uh, Israel is described as an olive tree in the prophets. In Isaiah, in, in, uh, in Jeremiah chapter 11, they're actually described as an olive tree and warned about getting the branches broken off. So Paul seems to be drawing on that. So the olive tree is the people of God. The broken branches that have been cut off and cast aside that Paul talks about are those ethnically Jewish people who have not received the Messiah. So Jesus came preaching and teaching and healing, was crucified and raised again, and then his apostles went out into the Mediterranean world preaching the good news of Jesus, and so many Gentiles responded in repentance and faith, while relatively very few Jewish people did. And so these broken branches, those who have heard the gospel, the the Jewish people who have heard the gospel but have not uh, responded to it with repentance and faith, are those who have been uh, cut off. That's verse 20 and verse 17. And then finally, the grafted in wild branches. You know, some other wild tree somewhere, God has cut off branches from that tree and stuck them onto this one tree, the people of God, that has its root in the promises to Abraham. And that's us, the Gentiles. Well, I say us because the majority of us are probably Gentile believers in Jesus. So we have the root, the trunk, the broken branches, and the grafted branches. And he's speaking in this section of Romans primarily to those grafted branches, to people more or less like us. He says, first of all, stay humble. You've been grafted in. It's the root that supports the branches and not the other way around, verse 18. You know, that's how trees work, right? Uh, The branches don't support the, the tree. The root supports the tree. So we, whatever we have goes all the way back to the root. It goes all the way back to those promises that God made to Abraham, particularly that promise in Genesis 12, uh, verse 3, where God said, I will bless all the families of the earth through you, Abraham. We have now received the fulfillment of that promise through Jesus, the son of Abraham, who took up the cross and, was, and died and was raised again. We have now been, uh, Paul elsewhere describes that promise that all the families of the earth will be blessed. He describes that as the gospel preached beforehand. Namely, that Gentiles would be included in the people of God through faith. He says in verse 24, you were cut from a wild olive tree and grafted in to this cultivated tree. You've been saved because of God's faithfulness to Abraham. You've been saved because God kept his promises to Abraham. So then, where is the ground for boasting? You know, it's like, um, you remember group projects in school? Everybody hates those. But why do they keep making us do them? I don't know. But there's always somebody, there's always somebody in the group who doesn't pull their own weight, right? So you might have some, you know, I can remember in, in my history major, somebody in our group that didn't pull their own weight, and we got a really good grade on the project, and they didn't pull, pull their own weight, but they still got the same grade the rest of us got, right? Now, if they turned around after class and were boasting about, you know, how good of a job they had done, everybody else in the group probably would have gone straight to the professor and been like, look, this guy is just, he didn't do anything. You should give him a zero and give us extra points because we had to drag him in, right? 
that it's something like that happening here. On what ground do you boast? God has been faithful to the promises to Abraham, and that's the only reason you've been included. So don't boast. Stay humble. He, he twice tells them. He says, don't be arrogant and don't be proud, using two different words. Don't forget <laughs> that the branches depend on the root, not the other way around. And then he goes on and sort of flips it in a more warning tone. He says, Gentiles, you who have been grafted in, if God can cut off natural branches, then can he cut off unnatural branches? Can he cut off those branches he's grafted in? Verse 20 and 21, so do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Be humble, because what happened to them can happen to the Gentiles, he says. You know, as we read the scriptures, there are few things or few people that God opposes more strongly than the proud, right? 1 Peter 5, 5, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. James 4, 6 says the same thing. They're both quoting from the book of Proverbs. God despises pride. So stay humble. If it can happen to them, it can happen to you. Stay humble. And, and I mean, one of the clear applications of this passage, and particularly this part of it, would be to stand against any form of anti-Semitism that's happening in our culture. And it is happening. There's a lot of it going around. You know, you can go online on YouTube and find a, a video that, that blames the Jewish people for almost anything bad that's ever happened in the history of humanity or anything that you don't like that's happening in the world right now. And somehow it's all, it's all thrown on the Jewish people. There's actually movements of people who, who, appear, who outwardly appear to be a regular sort of conservative person infiltrating both Christian denominations and conservative political uh, organizations so that later they can red pill people with anti-Semitism. There is a movement of anti-Semitism happening. And this type of passage shows just how foolish that sort of ethnic bo boasting in being a Gentile and, and putting down someone who's a Jew just how foolish that is. We've been grafted into one people of God. Especially as Christians, we should stand against any form of anti-Semitism. We should be humble. We have been, just like Remy received someone else's talent, we've received someone else's grace, tongue-in-cheek. It's ours now, but it wasn't ours to begin with. We're like the little old lady who goes to the garage sale and buys a, a masterpiece work of art for a nickel, right? <laughs> How is she going to boast in that, right? That's just purely God's gracious, sovereign providence. So stay humble. Then he says, stand fast in the faith. So we look at verse 20. You know, you might be tempted to think, oh, God is bringing a lot of Gentiles in the church. That must mean that God loves Gentiles and God is done with the Jewish people or that his promises have failed or that they've been set aside in some way, that now God is focused on people like me and he no longer cares about the Jewish people. But Paul corrects that. He look, as you look at verse 20, it's because of unbelief that they were cut off. It's not that God's promises has, have failed. It's that these people, by and large, have heard the message of the gospel and rejected the idea that Jesus is the Messiah, rejected that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, that he should be worshiped and adored. So, the, the application for us is, so then stand fast in the faith. Don't fall into unbelief. Don't fall into that type of unbelief that, that denies who Jesus is and what he's done. You know, this whole section 
of the book of Romans, from Romans chapter 9 to Romans chapter 11, it all revolves around that question. Well, what about Israel? Why are so many Gentiles believing and so many uh, Jews aren't believing? What's going on there? What is God doing there? And Paul is at pains to describe this, but he keeps, he keeps coming back to this issue of faith versus works. In chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, he says the reason Israel hasn't received, when I say Israel, I mean ethnic Israel, not the nation state of Israel today. Uh, the reason Israel hasn't received the, the message of Jesus is because it sought to establish its own righteousness through works of law. That's Romans 10, verses 1 through 5. But righteousness, Paul says, only comes through faith. You can only be declared to be in the right before God based on what Jesus did on the cross and not based on anything that's on your resume. Romans 11, verses 5 through 6, just a little bit earlier than this, he describes the remnant, those, those who have, those ethnically Jewish people who have received the gospel and uh, received Jesus as the Messiah. He says those ones did it not by works, but because they were chosen by God's grace. So he over and over again returns to this issue of faith versus works, or faith versus unbelief. And he says, stand firm in faith. Not the faith, stand firm in faith. Go on trusting God, that he is the God who keeps his promises. Go on trusting that because of what Jesus has done, you have been forgiven, that Jesus is alive and you now have been grafted in, adopted into God's family and share in a certain hope of the resurrection. Stand fast, stand firm in faith. Look at verse 22. He, he talks about the kindness and severity of God. The, the kindness and severity of God, the severity of God comes against those who are unbelieving, you know, often we, we, we always come back to this issue of what have I done, what have I not done? But the Bible so often comes back to this issue. Do you trust him or do you not? Are you, make, are you proud? Are you making yourself your own Lord? Or is Jesus the Lord? For Romans chapter four, verses three through five, what does the scripture say? But Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are counted not as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, that faith is counted as righteousness. God wants us to stand fast in the faith. It's only through this turning from ourselves, turning from self-reliance, turning from pride, turning from our false gods and, and trusting, rep repenting and trusting in Christ. That's the only way we can be reconciled to God. Only way we can be grafted in. Only way we can be declared to be righteous. Now notice that is not a call to try harder, be better, and do more. It's a call to trust Christ. It's a call to stop bringing your resume to God and saying, Lord, don't you see how good of a person I am? Don't you see all the good things that I've done? Don't you see all the money I've donated? Don't you see all the time that I've used for good causes in the world? You set all that stuff aside. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to thy fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. It's from a position of acceptance, from being grafted in, from being received, from being declared righteous, that then works flow, not the other way around. And that is so absolutely crucial, Paul says, because if you think it's about what you've done, you will inevitably boast in yourself. One time I heard a pastor telling a story, and he was using it as an illustration to, to help us get that, that faith and works in the right position, 
the right position, right? Faith justifies and works flow from justifying faith. And it's important that we get those in the right position. He was talking about coaching his son's little league team. And he was, his son was little at the time. It was, you know, during that time of little league where there's like a limit on how many runs you can score in an inning. Or like you can only go through the batting order one time because they don't want it to be 400 to nothing in the first inning, right? So it was the, it was the last inning of the game and the pastor's son's team was up by more batters than the other team had, right? So they were up by like 12 and the other team only had 10 batters. So they literally cannot lose. Doesn't matter what they do. They literally cannot lose. And the pastor's son was going to be the pitcher that inning. And he was terrible. Like he couldn't, you know, he was hitting people. He couldn't throw a strike to save his life. And he was stressed out. And, and, and the pastor kept going out to his son and being like, no, 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 we cannot lose. It literally doesn't matter. Hit, hit 10 guys in a row and we will win. Like, that's, that's what faith and works is like. We have already won because of what Christ has done. And our works, our works are an expression of our thankfulness, of our trust in him. And we sometimes are going to plunk 10 guys in a row. But our works flow from our faith. It's because of unbelief that Israel was cut off. Not because of their, their achievements, but because of unbelief. And so stand firm in the faith. Stay humble, stand firm, and then finally, share in Paul's mission to the Gentiles and the Jews. So Paul says in verse 13 that I magnify my ministry, I glorify my ministry, I want you guys to see how important and amazing and awesome this ministry that God has given me is. That's what Paul's doing there, right? Paul, how does Paul magnify his ministry in the New Testament? He's constantly recruiting. You know, I I just read Acts chapter 16 the other day. He recruited Timothy. And, and made, you know, circumcised Timothy and said, Timothy, you're going to help me go to the Jews now and preach the gospel? I'm, you know, did Timothy have a choice in that? I'm not sure I would have been up for that, that uh, mission. But um, he's constantly recruiting. He's constantly asking for support. He's calling people, hey, you can support my mission, my ministry, my church planting, my preaching by helping, uh, supporting me financially, you know, by, by caring for me when I get arrested inevitably, by um, taking care of my fellow workers as they come to your churches. We can see that all across the New Testament. He magnifies his ministry the way those, those missionaries do when they, they come home. You guys ever been to one of those church meetings where the, there's a missionary coming and they're gonna talk about all that God's been doing through their mission and you get this like, sense of their passion, their single-mindedness, their laser focus about the thing that, that God has called them to. As it's, to them, it's like nothing else in the whole world matters but this mission that God has called me to. Paul is saying, that's what it is. That's what it's like for me. God has given me this unrelenting zeal to go and preach the gospel all over the Mediterranean world, to plant churches, to to build a foundation where no foundation has been laid. And Paul writes the book of Romans to get these Roman Christians to join him in that mission. And later in the book of Romans, he talks about his desire to go to Spain. And he hopes that on the way to Spain, he'll be able to stop with them subtext so I can resupply and you can give me some financial support so I can get the rest of the way across the sea. He wants them and us to join in this mission to the Gentiles and to the Jews. And he hopes, interestingly, he hopes that as the gospel continues to flourish among the Gentile people, that his brothers and sisters, the Jews, would come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah as well. He says in verse 14, I, I, I work so hard at bringing Gentiles in, helping them through faith to be grafted into this 
this great people of God. I worked so hard to that in order that somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. You know, that I was imagining, like, if you've ever been to a sporting event where they, you know, they have, they have tables and you have to, like, open up your bag and they do, like, the, you know, is this baby formula or is this cocaine or something, you know, like, they're doing, why am I bringing that to a college football game? I don't know. Um, but, but you get on the, you know, there's people on either side of the thing and sometimes it's like that line is going a lot faster than this line is going. And you're like, hey, could I go to the game at any point today? Because, like, 300 people just went on on that side and you're scrutinizing, like, what belt I'm wearing. Can, can I please... Can I please go in? That's kind of what Paul's doing here. He's like, Gentiles are just coming in. God is just bringing them in, drawing them to himself, giving them the gift of faith, building up his church. And Paul's hopeful that as that happens, his brothers and sisters, the Jewish people, would look at that and say, I want to be part of what God is doing. I want to be part of the people of God that are the heirs to the promises. Having been broken off, I want to be grafted back in to God's people. And Paul is hopeful he thinks that as the mission to the Gentiles reaches its fullness, that's the word he uses in, in verse 25, just beyond our reading, that as the fullness of Gentiles come in and the, G, the Lord Jesus returns, that verse 26, all Israel will be saved. So Paul is saying, share in my mission. Join me in this mission of preaching the gospel and planting churches and sending missionaries so that Gentiles, non-Jews, all around the world can come to faith and that in God's purposes, that will actually stir up the Jewish people to be grafted back in. So bless the Gentiles, because as you bless the Gentiles, that will bless the Jewish people. And as you bless the Jewish people, verse 14, he says, that will mean the resurrection from the dead, the life from the dead. That all of God's purposes will reach their final and full fulfillment. That, that promise, uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, that through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed, will come to its full fruition when the fullness of Gentiles and all Israel are saved. So join God, join, join Paul and join God in this mission. Go and tell people this good news, that Jesus Christ died for sins and was raised again, and that, that anyone, whether you're a Canaanite woman who's been an enemy of God's people for millennia and would never darken the door of the church, this grace is for you. Or whether you're a person who grew up, so to speak, in the faith, knowing the promises of God, knowing about God's character, and you turned away and rejected that, this message is for you. You can be grafted in. This grace is for you. So receive it. And as you receive it, stay humble. Stand firm in the faith and share in God's mission. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this gospel, that it's not on the record of our works, but purely by your grace, by the accomplishment of Jesus that we stand before you, that we've been grafted in, adopted, filled with your Holy Spirit, and that we have the certain hope of resurrection. Lord, would you help us to be people so full of your spirit and so full of your grace that we do live our lives with overflowing thankfulness and praise, not only with our lips, but the way we live. And Lord, uh, call us, compel us, equip us to join your mission to the world as we seek to evangelize our friends and neighbors, to um, 
raise up church planters and to support missionaries, Lord. Would you bless all of those efforts, not, not for our boasting, but for the fulfillment of your purposes, that all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so, Lord, we lift this all up, and we ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.